Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, and with me, all the way across the pond, in the land of the Red Dragon, is the Wall Street Journal's gold standard in ghost hunting, and then the, the uh, centerfold for a GQ magazine, Steve Poss. It wasn't the centerfold, it was only page four. Page four? What, did you ever get to see that article? I did. Yeah? Page four. Page four. Was it listed on the cover? No. I'm not that famous. I never uh, made the cover. Okay. So, so there you go. And we're, of course, being broadcast live right here on Tojinet and Pararex and whoever else. I can't even remember anymore. Maybe anyone, the Anyone that will have us at There you go. So anyways, um, we have someone on the show today. Uh who uh, has written a new book, and the, the new book is called uh, Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg with Breakthrough Ghost Photography. And he is Tim Scullion. Did I get that name right, Tim? Tim Scullion. Yes, oh, Scullion. Scullion. Scullion? Good enough. Skull, Skull with a C, Lion. lion. Scullion. Right. I got it. Oh, that's a cool name now that I say it that way. Sounds like you one of those characters, like an Avengers or something. Anyway, so, Tim, you have uh, a couple of degrees. I noticed one a bachelor's and another one a, a master. And uh, you graduated from uh, the College of William & Mary, which is a very historic college, by the way. Uh, you also uh, published a bunch of other stuff. And you uh, are also a photographer. So... Whatever gets you, uh, or whatever possessed you to get into the paranormal? Well, first of all, let me say that before I started this, I was a complete skeptic myself. But uh, I was doing daytime tours through historic Colonial Williamsburg, and the company I was working with asked me if I would do a ghost tour. Well, I didn't believe in any ghosts, but I, I said, sure, it sounds like fun. So I memorized all of the ghost stories, and I started taking groups of usually about 25 people through the city and telling them the best stories that uh, we had as far as the paranormal. Mm -hmm. But what I would see every once in a while is that somebody just on an ordinary cell phone, and this was about five years ago before cell phone cameras got very good, they were picking up things that I couldn't explain. So I thought to myself after the season was over, what if I took out my professional equipment, went to these same places and tried tweaking with the electronics and see what I get. Mm -hmm. And so I went out as an experiment after the tour season ended. And the first time I went out, it was a complete failure. And I thought, I'm not going to do this again. But uh, something moved me about six weeks later to just, give it one more try. And I went out and I got some amazing stuff. And 
I've been photographing ghosts ever since. Now, it's it's not like I get a ghost in every picture because this just for my first book, it took me two years and over 10,000 photographs. So it's nothing easy. It's something that I had to have a lot of persistence with. But at the same time, it opened up a whole new world to me that I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. So looking through your book, I... I... It, it seems to me that the, the photographs are kind of divided into basically two different types, uh, reflective photography and um, light anomalies. Would you agree or not? Yeah, I agree. And and I know that the, the, the light anomalies, uh, I call them geolites, there's a lot of skepticism about them, but... If, if you've read the book, you, you understand that uh, I've seen too many things to just dismiss it as a light anomaly or a lens flare. Uh, for example, um, I've seen these things move. I've seen these things shape shift. And at places where I've taken repeated pictures at the same place, they change every time. Now, you know, if you hold a prism up to the sunlight, it's going to get a, a rainbow, and the rainbow is going to look the same, and it's going to be in the same place every time if the sun and the prism are in the same place. Mm-hmm. But these light anomalies aren't. So that, that makes me think that it's paranormal in nature and not just a lens flare. Okay. So, uh, first of all, I want to say that uh, before I even got involved in ghost hunting, uh, one of my ghost experiences was taking a uh, tour at haunted uh, uh, historic uh, Williamsburg. So that, that introduced me into the ghost, and I thought it was a fun thing to do. I had no interest in ghosts at that time. I didn't see any ghosts, but I just want to say the tour was really neat. I thought it was a cool thing to do. Second of all, I want to say that uh, my co-host, Steve Hassan, is the founder of Parascience, and uh, he is very much, well, what would you say uh, you've pretty much ruled out orbs or being anything paranormal, correct, Steve? Uh, well, if, if we're referring to orbs that are captured on digital cameras, then I think we, we've been able to demonstrate that they can be replicated um, and that we need to disregard those as a paranormal phenomena. But that doesn't mean to say that uh, similar phenomena that are captured on camera are not paranormal. I refer, of course, I mean, we've got a history of light anomalies that predate photography and were only mm-hmm. reported by, by human witnesses. So, for example, the Willow the Wisp, the ghost lights, um, the, the corpse candles, all of those uh, predate photography. What I was referring to are the ones that are easily explained by airborne and airborne objects, material, matter, dust, water droplets, pollen, all that sort of detritus that floats around on a day-to-day basis. It's just simply picked up because the flash or the illumination on the camera is very close to the lens axis. So why I brought that up, and I wasn't trying to dismiss your photographs or anything, is that um, so we have those explanations for why we do get these light anomalies. I mean, did you take that in consideration when you published this book? Absolutely. And if you notice that the light anomalies that I've taken – None of those are really those orbs that I think your partner's talking about, but mm-hmm. what um, what I've taken 
are shapes that are geometric and have uh, rainbow-like prism-like colors, but each one is different. And like I said, I've experienced movement with these things. I've experienced shape shifting. And so that, that tells me that it's something more than just uh, a lens flare on the camera. When you say geometric, Tim, are you referring to hexagons and um, you know, multi, multi-faceted uh, circular objects? You know, like... In all, in all fairness to Steve, he, he doesn't... I haven't seen the pictures. The no, I don't know if they copied the yeah. book. Yeah, so, yeah. No, it's, it's a bit different than what you're describing right there. And I, I know exactly what you're referring to. And had I gotten results like that, I wouldn't have put them in the book either. Right. Yeah, we're both we're, yeah we're both on the same page here with uh, obviously the the uh, aperture shutter mechanism with the aperture mechanism within the lens because that's all, what that, I what that I did do a lot of geometrics. What I did do with my camera is that uh, I purposely went out and I tried to get lens flares. Now I have a very expensive camera and a very expensive lens. And I put pointed the camera at the sun every which way that I could and tried to purposely get these lens flares to see that if I could compare them to what I was getting at night in uh, these haunted places. And because my camera is, uh, is expensive and, and well-built and the coating on the inside of the lens is... Uh, is all black. I believe that that's one of the reasons why the only type of lens flare that I can get with it is that uh, cloudy like light from the uh, sun. But that's it. None of the circles and geometric shapes that you're talking about uh-huh. that you see in uh, the movies and on commercials all the time. Just just for the record, Tim, I mean, what what make and model of camera do you use? I use uh, Canon equipment. So we're talking one of the DSLRs. Yeah, no. Yes. Yeah. Good. So, I mean, when I when when this these like anomalies first started appearing, uh, when I started investigating, you know, it was something that I always thought about. It. I think it was either uh, a defect in the uh, the uh, technology, or it was uh, new technology discovered us. To capture something we've never seen before, and it's kind of like both of that. But, anyways, um, I also noticed that the less expensive cameras were able to capture these so easily because of of the technology and how poor it was at that time. Well, uh, Ron, can I just jump in there? Just, just, just. The less expensive cameras are more susceptible, but it's not a technological issue. It's just that the less expensive cameras tend to be much smaller. Which puts okay. the which puts the fair flash enough. very much closer to the lens. So yeah, fair something something like what that's Tim's using. That's what I meant. So yeah, yeah Tim's exactly. Tim's uh, DSLR will have the the uh, flash will will be much uh, further removed from the lens, right, which is ma- making that uh, improbable. Yeah. But you know, there's an elephant in the room here, guys. Um, you know, uh, Tim, something you you said earlier, right at the start of the interview. You believe, or I think Ron may have said it on your behalf, that you believe that you're photographing ghosts. Yet, how can you be sure that you're photographing a ghost when, in reality, we don't really understand what a ghost is? So to, to say that you're photographing something we don't yet understand seems to be quite a leap. 
true, but uh, you have to understand that in the book, I've got more than just these light anomalies. I've got faces that look like uh, human faces. And yeah, I want to get to that. There are, awesome. there are just as many of those in the book as, if not more than the light anomalies, because that's what I concentrated on, on really finding. But what I discovered is that the light anomalies were always near the faces that showed up in the windows of these homes. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't uh, too far of a stretch for me to connect the light anomaly to the face that was in the window. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I, as I say, I'm working blind without the without the benefits of seeing the pictures. But the questions, the question still stands: is how how can you make that leap to say that you know definitively that these are ghosts and not something else that we don't yet understand? Because you know, exactly. in all honesty, it, well, it's a claim as well. Um, you know, Tim's making a claim that. Or it's like these well, people. Christians, tra- Christians claim that God exists. Yeah, exactly, so, I mean, what's, and what's and. The difference? Well, the difference is we, we you know, I, I'm just trying to to get Tim's thoughts and, and impressions on the, on on uh, on the book because obviously I haven't read it, I haven't seen the pictures, but I'm interested in that claim that because there have been people who have been saying they've been able to photograph ghosts for a hundred years. So, so uh, I guess Tim, the question really is: is what makes you believe that the photographs you took are ghosts? That's that's pretty simple, I think. All right, well, let let me go to an experience that I had. And that was, uh, I had a couple friends of mine that took me out to a hunt club. And uh, I didn't really want to go, but my friend said that he had seen ghosts there and he wanted to know if I could photograph them. He'd seen a woman that was uh, uh, walking through the hallway and he wanted to see if I could come up with a photograph of it. So I went with them. And I photographed the entire area, and I got the light anomalies as well as a couple faces in the windows. So I sent him the photos of the uh, faces that I got in the windows, and uh, I said, I'm sorry, I wasn't able to find the woman that uh, you said you saw in the hallway, but uh, I can't help what shows up on the photograph. And uh, he sent me back a message, and he said that... uh, that's all right, because the face that I sent him was incredible. It was a friend of his that had passed away in 1993. It was oh, wow. his best friend that he used to go hunting with all the time. And he knew right away that that was his best friend. Now, his best friend had died of a heart condition in a hospital about 30 miles away from the hunt club. And somehow the uh, face ended up there in the window. And uh, my friend said that that was his favorite activity in the world to go hunting and to be at that hunt club. So I guess that's where his spirit or ghost or soul or whatever you want to call it resides. And I've had a couple other experiences that are similar to that. So, you know, I don't know for absolute sure, but that's that's why I base my claim that I'm photographing ghosts. Excellent. Cheers. So we're talking with... uh... Tim Sc- uh, Skullion, uh the author of Haunted Historic Colonial Williamsburg with Breakthrough Ghost Photography. And uh, go ahead, continue. Go ahead. Steve, I cut you off. I'm sorry. No, you didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I did. My bad. You <laughs> <laughs> so normally I, cut me off, but on that occasion, you didn't. Well, it must have been a ghost because I thought I heard you. <laughs> so, I mean, in all, 
all fairness, this book is, is simply intriguing from the face pictures alone. I mean, there are there are tons of ghost pictures, uh, face pictures in this book, uh, and they were all taken on on reflective surf- surfaces, which is uh, you know interesting because we go all the way back to you know early times and people's uh, stride into reflective surfaces. And they saw transfiguration. They saw other images. Is is that how you got involved in, in doing reflective photography? Is is it that what you think you are doing in, in the same respect? Yes, ex- exactly. What, what I found is that uh, when I have captured ghosts that are in the streets, it, they're usually uh, kind of misty, ephemeral, and I could never get a clear face, but it seems that when they show up in these windows, that they're able to manifest a clear, detailed face that you would be able to recognize. And I, I've discovered that uh, the the window, particularly if the window doesn't have any blinds or curtains over it, is usually the place that I can find a, a ghost in a haunted building. And they they're curious. They usually come out to see what I'm doing. Which, yeah, it makes sense, actually. And, and Steve, I, I really apologize for not able, able you have a book because uh, the, the faces in this are, are quite amazing. We're talking extreme detail. You know, we always talk about uh, pareidolia where you, where you think you see something, but these these faces are uh, uh, so, so clear. And, uh, I mean, they're, they're pretty amazing, actually. Well, it, uh, as I haven't got a copy of the book, it's probably best that I'll leave the majority of um, the conversation to okay. you and Tim. So when you, come over, when you come over to September for Spirit Quest, yeah. you have to check it out. It, it is definitely... Oh, you can get one your own on... I'm sure they're on Amazon. It's called uh, Haunted Historic Colonial Wimsburg with Breakable Ghost Photography. So um, were you able to correlate the pictures you were taking with the history of the houses? And how did you do that? Not always, but I, I can give you a couple examples where the, the history makes sense with the photographs that I'm getting. Now, uh, let me give you the prime example, and, and this is the first time I ever got any type of a recognizable face in a window at Colonial Williamsburg, and that's at the Peyton Randolph House, which is purportedly the most haunted in Williamsburg, if not all of Virginia and not in a good way. But uh, on the night that I got a face, it was only a partial face, and I, I was kind of disappointed because I've got, I got the top of the head, the eyes, the forehead, but right around the nose and the mouth area, it was all black, and I couldn't understand, and it was, it was a disappointment to me because I thought, wow, I almost got a face in the window. And that, again, that was my first one. But uh, what I learned from the history of the Peyton Randolph house is that in the particular room that I took the photograph, that there had been a man that came in there in the 18th century and put a gun to his mouth and killed himself. So obviously that correlates with the photo that I got where the, the whole area around the mouth and the nose is all blackened, but you could see the rest of the face. Now, another example that I've gotten 
is uh, is with a uh, an inn. It's now a bed and breakfast. It's nearby, not in Colonial Williamsburg, but uh, between there and Newport News. And it's called the Boxwood Inn, and it's it's got quite a story to go with it. And that is that uh, I was asked to come down there and to give a book presentation and to take photographs. And so I took the photographs and I came back the very next week to present to another tour group that had come through. And when I showed the manager the photographs, I said that I had gotten a a photograph in the window right beside her and everything is kind of uh, hard to see, hard to distinguish except for this uh, the left leg with a shoe on it mm-hmm. and what was amazing about that was that she was able to recognize that shoe and the day that i took the photograph it happened to be the 10th anniversary that her son had dropped over dead of a freak heart attack yeah. and so th- those are kind of uh, ways that i i can tell that i'm on the right track you know i i don't know everything i don't have answers to everything but I just keep take, taking photographs and looking at the background and trying to correlate the history with what I, what the results that I'm getting on the camera. Right, and and the book does go into the history of it as well, which is which is great because it's um, it does help with the photographs. And and I noticed, you know, you you say even in in the book, like you know, you get uh, some photographs that appear to be. Uh, by by their look, you know, their hairstyle and so forth, that it seems to be more contemporary spirit than than uh, some of the older ones. Uh, so, I mean, you do point that out, which is interesting. Yeah, um, let me give you an example that the the hairstyles in the 18th century for men were decidedly different than they were in the 19th century. And Williamsburg has quite the history, both from the American Revolution to the Civil War. So I'm assuming that the uh, pictures that I get where the men are clean shaven and have long hair, but that's from the 18th century around the time of the American Revolution and or earlier. And that the photos that I get where the men appear to be heavily bearded, that's around the 19th century around about the Civil War time. And what's interesting about that correlation is that uh, Williamsburg, after the capital moved to Richmond in 1780, it became a sleepy little farming town. That is until 1862. On May 4th, 1862, there was a mate. I can't, I shouldn't say major, but it was a large battle that involved at least 70,000 men. And there were 3,843 men that died here, which was almost twice the population of Williamsburg itself. Wow. And so all these houses that are in Colonial Williamsburg, that um, they were used as makeshift hospitals. And so they were bringing the dead in and laying them in the houses and trying to treat them. And so there's quite a few men that died in these houses. And as a result, I'd get heavily bearded men that show up in the windows of many of them. So that's my correlation to the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And then we come to 
a part that, that is really strange, and and that's the one that, the ones that look almost alien or even demonic. Some of them. Uh, what's your thoughts on those? You know, I I can't say. I I don't know what they are. I, I just included them to uh, rouse the curiosity of everybody. Do I believe that the, that uh, there's alien life? Yes, but I'm not going to assert that these things are aliens because I have no proof. You know, I, I, I have nothing to go on with that, but I can certainly look at these photos and wonder, you know, what's, what's really out there. Right. It's, I mean, they're, they're intriguing uh, as well. And if, do you think that uh, what you do is, is uh, very similar to any other types of, uh, uh, spirit divination in that you're not sure what you're going to get through and necessarily it is, it's not a spirit that goes from the particular area or just that they're aware that someone's doing something they just want to be seen or, or heard or seen in your case see I, I can't say, say with any, any kind of certainty about that either but what I will say is that uh, I have met psychics when I've uh, presented my book in various places that uh, have said that they know what I'm doing, meaning the ghosts. So uh, that's that's about the only correlation I can get to any sort of divination. But as for myself, I've, I'm a Christian, and I, I don't try to... Uh, do any any of the types of uh, black magic or or the arts or right. call up these things? I just go and I photograph them. Mm-hmm. Now, would you? So, I guess guess I'm trying to say is, why do you take a particular photograph? You just go around shooting randomly, or or is there some reason you take a particular photograph? It's my curiosity more than anything, but uh, usually I go to houses that have some sort of story that's anecdotal, that's curious, that's historical, that uh, for some reason is compelling, and I want to see if, what I can get at that particular house. And that, that's that's what drives me now, curiosity. What can I get here? It's just uh, something that's been ongoing ever since that first photo of the uh, the person that I got at the Peyton Randolph house that had his mouth shot off. Mm-hmm. Which, which makes sense. It, 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 I, that's how I get involved. I started doing this and realized there were a lot of things that I had difficulty explaining. And I just was so curious. I just wanted to continue doing it. And fast forward 20 some odd years later and there you go. Uh, but anyway, we have to take a break right now. So uh, you can hold on, right? Okay. Okay, so you're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International uh, with Steve Parsons and Ron Kowick. And our special guest today is Tim Skolion, uh author of Haunted uh, Historic Colonial Williamsburg with Breakthrough of Ghost Photography, uh, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, and maybe the Ghost Box, who knows. We'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tojanet. Radio with a cutting edge. 
feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more, all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. Ghost Chronicles International. You're listening to us live on Talkinet, Parax, and anybody else that will have us. Our guest tonight is Tim Skullion, down in Colonial. I like that word, Colonial Williamsburg, Virginia. Yeah, of course you would. Of course you would. <laughs> it reminds me of the good old days. The good old days when you had us under your boot sticks or a boot, whatever the hell it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Give me a couple of years. You'll want the Queen again. Um, But nonetheless, Tim is a historian um, and also author of a book on Haunted Williamsburg with some startling ghost photographs, which is why I'm strangely quiet tonight, because I haven't seen the book or the photographs. (laughs) So I'm leaving it all to Ron. So back to you, Ron and Tim. I mean... (laughs) I'm just. Uh, be no, honest, I'm, I'm, I'm just, quite happy. I've got my gin and tonic. I'm quite happy. Yeah, I know you, you are. Keep going. I, I just really. When you come over here, I got to show you because I mean the book is absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. That's five months after the show. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, it's good. It keeps you out of trouble. Anyways, the, the, to me, it's the faces are the most fascinating thing. I mean, I've seen so many pictures that people post on you know Facebook or whatever of of ghost faces and everything, but these are so, so vivid. I mean, to me, it's the eyes. You look at the eyes, and they're so realistic. I mean, if, if you had a picture of a person and looked at their eyes and, a pic- and looked at one of these pictures, I mean, they're identical. I mean, uh, it's it's just fascinating. It really is. Uh, so, Tim. Uh, where can I and where can everybody else get a copy of Tim's book? Uh, Amazon, I'm sure. Where else, Tim? Let's ask Tim. 
to Amazon. It's available at Shipper Publishing's website, and it's available at uh, your local Barnes & Noble bookstore. And do you have a uh, website you'd like to uh, mention if somebody wanted to get in touch with you? Yes, uh, I'm on Facebook, and uh, that's Tim Skullion Author. I'm on uh, Twitter, Tim Skullion, and I'm on uh, – I've actually started a uh, ghost tour myself, and what, I, oh. what I'm doing is I'm, I'm telling the stories that I've experienced personally or uh, some of the people that I know, not some of the same stories that have been told in Williamsburg for years. And I'm taking with me a large computer tablet and I'm showing the photos that I got at each of the places that, that I'm talking about. And that's ghostographer.com. Oh, that's but, excellent. Uh, uh, yeah, we do uh, the haunted. All right, go ahead, Tim. What I wanted to address a second ago, you're talking about eyes, and that, that's mm-hmm. what's so amazing that I, I get, usually I get one very clear, very dominant spirit or ghost in the window, but all around it, I usually get other sets of eyes or smaller faces. It's like uh, it's like only one has the power, enough power to actually project its image and, and I believe that that's what they're doing that uh, they somehow are able to draw with light and to project an image on the window so, and uh, go ahead no go ahead go, go ahead finish so I, what, what I think is that for some of these things that are, are really strange looking I, I don't know if there are actually creatures out there that look like these things or they just have the ability to draw with light. Just like we can make just about any type of creature p- appear on film. It's it's my wonder, it's my guess that uh, they're able to formulate light on a window to create something that maybe that something that they don't even look like. So these these are a lot like EVPs, electronic voice phenomena. And that when you get a recording, it's not nothing it's not anything you hear at the time, but only on playback that you hear it. So you don't see these spaces when you're taking pictures. It's only when you review the pictures that you actually see them, correct? Correct. I have no psychic ability whatsoever. Right. So I just be able to see them. And so it's, it, it seems to me they'd be very similar in that they manipulate the, the light or, or the camera itself to make themselves appear that's the explanation i would have for these if i uh could go that route yes i'm on the same page with you that uh, somehow they're able to manipulate some of the sounds on uh, on those evp recordings just like they're manipulating light and uh, sometimes it's not very clear and other times it's clear as day what what they're trying to say or the photo that uh, they're trying to project on the window. Okay. The other question I'm going to have, have you ever tried this at a place that, for instance, you wouldn't think it's people? For instance, you ever played, do you, do you live in a house or do you live in apartments, uh, Tim? I live in a house, a haunted house. So, oh, I was going to say, have you ever t- tried it at your own house, for instance, to uh, Absolutely. To correlation? 
And it's, it's, it's funny you say that because it's funny you say that because I just put up a blog about my haunted house and <laughs> some of the faces that I captured in the window. Okay. So, uh, so I'm trying to think now. Have you ever ever tried going to, for instance, a building where you absolutely have no uh, no stories about being haunted or anything else, and tried taking uh, reflective photography at that building, see if you could get similar results or or no results? No, I, I can't say that I, I've tried a random building, but I have tried buildings in Colonial Williamsburg that have no ghost stories, just to see what I could get. And did and, you get them? At- yes. In fact, I I, I believe that there's uh, every single building in Colonial Williamsburg, whether it's original or whether it's rebuilt, is haunted in some way. Sometimes I get more apparitions and more faces in the window than in certain buildings than others, but they all at least have one, just one in the building. You, you know, it's really interesting, and this, when you say that, it brings this to mind, is that I know people who are uh, what I like to call EVP specialists. That's what they do. That's what they like doing, it, and, and they get very good results. It seems like they tend to get more results than anyone else. And is that because they have their own little posse with them that that is able to give them those results? Or, uh, you know, I, I'm always curious. I'm not, I'm not really telling you with this. I'm just kind of like throwing that out there. It, 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 you know, I think sometimes that, you know, when we do something like, you know, for instance, mediums, if mediums can speak to the dead, then, they end up having people that follow them uh, that, uh, you know, might, might want to be heard or, or uh, realize what they do, and, and, and they just uh, kind of help other spirits as well. Do you think that that's a possibility with your photographs? I do, and, and the reason why is that, uh, in fact, my family asks me this all the time. Do you, do you think that... Uh, these ghosts are showing up in our house because this is, this is the second house where we've had ghosts that I've lived at in the last couple of years. And they're, they're asking me, do you think you ought to quit taking photographs? Cause we think that uh, these things are following you home. And I've, I've been told by psychics that that is a possibility. I've been told by psychics that uh, they know what I'm doing. So I, it's, it's all possible now. Um, I can tell you this, that there are certain houses that are shown in that book where I must have gone to the house 20 or 30 times before anything showed up. And then after that, it was like, I don't know, we're, we're old friends because they're willing to show up all the time now. Right. So I think, I think there's some correlation. Now, I, I heard that, uh, I read that you have a degree in science. What I've done, I've read up on a lot of science, and I've read up on Yanis Slowinski's, uh, he's an Einstein theoretician, mm-hmm. physicist, and he's theorized that ghosts are electromagnetic consciousness, and that they are able to survive the human body. And I also read up on Professor John Joe McFadden, who's over in England, 
and he's he doesn't focus on the dead, but he focuses on the living. And what he said is that uh, there is no tissue center in the brain that is conducive to conscious thought. They can't find it anywhere. So he's theorizing that it, we have an electromagnetic conscience too. So if that's what we have, according to these scientists, and that is able to escape the body at death, then I'm, I'm thinking that uh, as an electromagnetic conscience, that they're able to possibly know what we're thinking, uh, read our minds, and in some cases with people that claim to have psychic abilities, are able to communicate their thoughts to them. But again, as far as I'm, as I go, I don't have any psychic abilities myself. But I, I believe that that's one of the ways that they're able to communicate. That's one of the ways that they're able to send out EVPs and to project an image on a window for us to see. So, Steve, let me ask you. I can ask you that because that's probably a genetic question in itself. Uh, uh-huh. uh, Steve is is also a parapsychologist. He hates the word, but close enough. Uh, so he has qualifications in physics, but don't. Yeah, there you go. So, Steve, what what are, what are your thoughts on these the theory? Well, Tim's absolutely correct that, that science doesn't yet, and is still determined, uh, is still trying to find the root of consciousness. We don't understand it. Parapsychology has been involved in the search for the roots of consciousness. Does it lie in the brain, or does it lie somewhere else? Um, for the longest time, and the results are very inconclusive. Uh, there are theories that suggest that consciousness um, might lie or memory particularly memory and consciousness might lie outside of the human body this idea of the um, etheric field this universal memory field that and the brain is simply a processor um, you know rather like if you uh, liken it to a computer then consciousness would be the hard drive and um, our brains would be the CPU but there are others who, who, who will disagree with that. I mean, this is, a ver- this is an area where there is a lot of conflict in science. There are a lot of uh, scientists, physicists, who will disagree with those theories simply because they sound so far-fetched. And yet there are other scientists and physicists who are actually uh, pursuing those ideas. Okay. So, anyways, uh, we actually have to have to say goodbye to you, Mr. Ten Skull Lion. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I highly recommend the book just for the photographs alone. I'm telling you, these faces are freaking awesome. And uh, I want to appreci- I want to thank you very much for uh, coming on the show. And once again, how can people meet you? Uh, Tim Skullion on Twitter. Uh, Tim Skullion author on Facebook. And, uh, of course, my book's available at Amazon and it's also available at Schiffer Publishing. And I'm also available at the ghostographer.com. It's okay. a made-up word, ghost and photographer. Yeah, Steve does that too. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, I, make yeah, it, I make it words. There you go. Yeah, you do. Ghostology. Uh, so anyway, Tim, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, I wish you the best of luck with your tours. They sound really intriguing. Sorry, like I, I was quiet that. tonight, Tim, but I was—I was—it I, wouldn't have been fair.
firing blind. I understand, but uh, at least you added something about the uh, electromagnetic conscious and the theories. That it's are all right. Well, while we were on there, I actually ordered a copy of the book. So. <laughs> Ah, uh, see, I got them intrigued. <laughs> All right, Tim, thank you so much for being on the show. All right, you guys take care. Nice yeah, talking right. with you. Yeah, Good night. Bye. So there you go. It is an intriguing book, anyways. Well, but now, don't, spoil, don't spoil it for me. I won't. I won't. Anyways, uh, I want to know now, how it ends. Now, it'll be what? the butler. It's always the butler. Really? Yeah. Butler no. did it. Anyway, tell us curious right. tales. Episode ten. Alrighty. Let's go. Maybe. Anytime. Is it playing? <laughs> yeah. Just shut up, Mom. <laughs> Tonight. I, the teller of curious tales, open my book once again and bring you strange and unusual stories, true stories stranger than any fiction ever written. Listen to the teller of curious tales. Early in 1893, Will Buckley was returning home to his plantation in Mississippi when he was ambushed shot and killed. Two days after the tragedy, bloodhounds picked up a cold scent and led a posse to the home of Will Purvis. Purvis was accused of the murder, tried for it and sentenced to hang on the 7th of February 1894. The day of the execution came and thousands of people gathered in Columbia, Mississippi for in those days, a hanging was a public affair, a gala event in the community. The crowd waited expectantly. Slowly, the door to the county jail opened, and a small group of men walked silently toward the scaffold. In their midst, Purvis, the condemned man. He climbed the scaffold steps and faced the crowd. The sheriff's deputy strapped his hands and feet. Then Purvis spoke. His voice was unnatural, almost hysterical. You are taking the life of an innocent man. Whoever killed Will Buckley is out there watching this hanging. And whoever he is, he knows I'm innocent. While Purvis was talking, the deputy sheriff took out his knife and cut off the ragged rope end which was dangling from the noose. When Purvis was finished, the deputy fitted the black cap and the noose over Purvis's head. He then signalled the executioner, who with a hatchet cut the rope that held the trap, and Purvis's body dropped with a sharp, sickening thud. Ordinarily, our story would have ended here, but when Purvis dropped, the knot loosened, and he fell to the ground, unhurt. The crowd stood spellbound with horror, and Purvis arose and began staggering up the scaffold steps. The sheriff and the deputy again prepared to carry out the sentence of the court. One of the officials called down to the doctor, asking him to throw the rope back up through the trap. The doctor yelled up angrily, 
I won't do any such thing. This boy's been hung once too many times already. This speech seemed like a turning point in the whole proceeding. Suddenly the crowd took the prisoner's cause and shouted, Turn him loose! Let him go! Don't let him hang! The minister, who was on the scaffold, took this as his cue and addressed the crowd. Anyone in this crowd who wants to see this boy hanged again, raise your hand! The crowd stood frozen. Not one hand was raised. The sheriff, not knowing what to do next, again attempted to hang Purvis, but was prevented by the mob. There was nothing to do but return Purvis to jail. That night, friends of the prisoner broke into the jail, rescued him, and concealed him on a secluded farm. Feeling ran high in Mississippi. Part of the state was for hanging Purvis, part for setting him free. At the next election, a candidate for governor pledged himself to modify Purvis's sentence, should he be elected. He won. Purvis was surrendered to the authorities and his sentence commuted to life imprisonment. But that still doesn't end this story. For one night, eight years later, Joe Beard, a member of the same community, stood up in Holy Roller Meeting and said he could not stand the weight of his sin no longer. He, not Will Purvis, had shot Buckley from ambush. His confession caused a near riot, but was soon corroborated by known facts, and Purvis was released. The legislature of the state of Mississippi voted him an indemnity of $5,000. A happy ending, perhaps, but oh, so close to tragedy. Perhaps the goddess of justice was watching over the scaffold on that fateful February the 7th, 1894. The gong strikes. My time is up. On my next visit, I'll bring you other stories, curious tales, strange beliefs. The teller of curious tales has closed his book and about to go on his way. I'll be back again on Ghost Chronicles International with more strange stories. Sleep tight. <laughs> I wonder if he, when we do one of the Euro- yeah, I wonder if when we do one of the European ones, uh, the teller of curious tales can switch into a um, appalling German accent as well. We did. We did one German. Went to, it was did, he do German a, did, did he do yeah. a German accent, though? No, he didn't. That was just amazing. That, I didn't realize he was so talented. That was... I, I nearly I nearly dropped my gin and tonic then. Yeah. I thought he'd hired a voice actor. I know. And all that special effects, effects was just amazing. I just well, uh, sat yeah, here he, in awe. Well, he works for the BBC now. Oh, does he really? Yeah, I told you we're not worthy anymore. Yeah. Oh well. Was it, that was a good one, and of course Mississippi being very close to Virginia and Massachusetts, rel- relatively speaking, and Massachusetts, they both begin with M. Hmm? They both begin with M, so they're close. Actually, do you know? It reminds me. You talked about Dylan Jackson. It reminds me. I, I was on a trip once uh, to the southern states. And uh, we engaged in a little uh, $10 bet that I couldn't pass as being from Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. 
and uh, for an hour, and I did. I couldn't really? do it now. I don't think I could do it now, but I did a pretty good in. I did. I did. If you're witnesses. Yeah. Yeah, who? Uh, well, the six people in our Some party. Some guy the, named Bill. The, no, the, the, the six people in our party and the entire of the line dancing club that we were in. Yeah, like right. We did we into a line dancing Well, we'd set off to go to Hooters, but one of the party objectives Wait a was what you went line dancing? No, I didn't go line dancing. <laughs> okay. We we'd I set off, we'd set, Yeah, we'd set off to go to Hooters. <laughs> you know, all the lads um we'd set off to go to Hooters, but one of the lads uh one of the party objected on the basis that he if his wife ever found out it'd be the end of his marriage. Right. Like know, we, well, we we tried to persuade him by saying we were going to an owl sanctuary, but he wasn't having any exactly. of that. As soon as we got there, we realised what we were doing, and we ended up in a line dancing bar about three three blocks down. Uh. Hey ho! Okay, that was Alabama. That uh, might be <laughs> because we were in Alabama. That might be why I got away with the Tennessee accent, because you know what they're like in Alabama. Mm-hmm. But we did have some very. I did learn some. Some. I did get to play some really cool games in Alabama. Um, mailbox baseball. Don't know if you played that up north. And um, oh got my to sh- God, no. And it's got to shoot. And mean. And got to shoot a road sign. Genuinely from the back of a pickup. So bad. So bad. No, no, it was really good fun. Mailbox baseball is so cool. We should institute that as an well, Olympic sport. What's the job? Mailbox. <laughs> should be an Olympic sport. Yeah, yeah. We I usually fixed it so they didn't do it. I fill it with cement. And freaking well, you do play it. You do play it in mass then. It's it's illegal, but yeah, it, it's been done before. I think you should be an Olympic sport. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, anyway, who read a watch? So uh, I, I I had an interesting talk with uh, Dale. Uh, Grap, the uh, the guy of the Stale Stoggy program, and oh, yeah. he is a, a physicist. And it's a good that was a oh, brilliant series as well. He told me it's not that. He told me that it's <laughs> possible to get messages from the future. Did he? Yeah, he says it's it's theoretical. Well, well, no, it's not theoretical. It's not It's absolutely factual. We're doing it right now because the time the time here is twenty fifty five on the ninth of May, and the time in Massachusetts is. Is you don't look at the clock. About five five to four. About five. Military time. All right, it's five to nine here. So you went the military time. So it's five. So it's five. All right, if it's five to nine in the evening here, and it's five to four in the afternoon there, then obviously I'm talking to you and sending you messages from the future. So is is the UK on military time? No, but we tend to use the twenty-four hour clock. Why? If you don't have. Because the Americans don't, and it confuses the hell out of you. Oh, okay, I can see that. All right, that makes sense to me. But anyway, so I, I asked them. I said, if it's possible for us to get messages from the future, then isn't it theoretically possible that we can get messages from the past, which may explain a lot of this paranormal? Well, that's, that there's, 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 there are several paranormal cases based upon that. Um, 
where messages purporting to be from the past have been received on modern devices um, such as computers, including, I mean, one of the most famous being, uh, and I can't remember yours. the name of it. Yours. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. He called up. Yeah, was Einstein he called you? No, no. Said Steve, give up to go to work. No. But there was, um, there was a case, there was a case in, there was a case, there was a case in Cheshire um, about Cheshire. 15, 15 years ago uh, where a Cheshire. gentleman yeah. was missing. I, I give up. Bring it to the end of the show. You should. You it's should. Like, it's like doing the show with a parakeet. A parakeet? Come on. I'm a little better than a parakeet. Oh, my God. I don't know how I put up with you. You didn't tonight. I was strangely quiet. I know. Strangely and oddly, I kind of missed you. Well, I did never copy the book. I couldn't. I, couldn't I know. I just say it strangely and oddly. I, I, Usually, we have like, a set. I have. We have a saying. We have a saying here in Britain. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Oh, Jesus! You keep your mouth shut, obviously. Oh, listen, tunes, we got to go. Thank God for that. So, you have been listening, perhaps, to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Pass and Ron Right here on TojiNet and Pararex, and it's time for us to say good night and God bless and remain the worst day of your life be, no, may the best day of your life be your worst. There you go. And not be anything as bad as this one. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.